Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We're particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, welcome along to the show. This is Stephen Moe speaking, and I'm glad you could join me because today we're speaking with Marcel from the Tumanaco Wellness Center. And this episode is being aired around the time that they're kicking off their Pudge Me campaign to try to raise funds to investigate what this wellness center might look like. But as well as talking about that, we also dive deep into her childhood and the influence that her grandfather had on her choosing to become a film director and also what film directing means to her. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Marcel. Care should be completely holistic. And it isn't just about putting medication into our bodies. It's about where we are. It's about what our environment looks and feels like. Mm -hmm. It's about what we put into our bodies in terms of, you know, nutrition for like good gut health, good overall health. It's about exercise. It's about the sorts of things we feed our minds, so whether that's, you know, soothing music or a beautiful calming effect of a fabulous garden, whether we're earthed in nature, all of these things have an incredibly important effect on us, you Mm. know, physiologically and Mm. mentally. Mm. Now, just a reminder that this is the 50th episode of the podcast series, so if you enjoy what you hear today, you might want to check out one of those earlier episodes. Now, let's get into the interview with Marcel. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Marcel from the Tumanaco Wellness Center. Um, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for having us, having me, actually, on the show. It's yeah. great. Yeah, no, it's good. I think we're going to talk about a lot of different topics <laughs> because I know that you've got a varied background and have had a career that's taken you from film and storytelling, but also now involved with this new initiative with um, Tumanaco Wellness Center and the Pledge Me campaign, which is probably underway at the time that we're recording this. Yeah, or, July 12th till August the 8th. Yeah, so this will probably be released during that window. Um, but with this podcast, I started it, um, the name of it is Seeds, and I like the stories to be like seeds for other people listening, that they might get new ideas and maybe think about their own lives. So if we could just go back to the start um, and just find out a bit about your background and where you're from. Okay, well, I was born in Dunedin, in obviously New Zealand. <laughs> Moved to Christchurch when I was uh, about eight or nine, and grew up in Christchurch. Left Christchurch when I was uh, nineteen, and haven't been back since. Well, back occasionally to visit my parents and mm-hmm. my family, but uh, predominantly living overseas. And that childhood. Um, the part here in Christchurch. What are you sort of? What's a, what sort of child were you? Um, very creative. Always very driven. I had, a, you know, I was an A student. I was, you know, I used to. I mean, even when I was little in Indonesia, I would go to bed and read the dictionary every night. For example, you know, I wouldn't read just a novel. Right. <laughs> I was always driven to be the best at school. I don't know where that came from. Um, you Did, know, were there traces of it in your? Family or oh yes, it? so my grandfather was like that. He was particularly creative and very clever, um, and he had started a cine club in Dunedin. So he was always making little films with the oh, okay. with the family and them. So sometimes they were 
kind of little mini dramas and short films and we would sit around and watch these. A lot of them were on Super 8. Mm-hmm. So we'd have family nights and he would show these films and mm-hmm. often many people in the family were just completely embarrassed and didn't want to watch them at all. But they were great in actual fact. And um, So that was kind of your first introduction to film in a way, I mean, yeah, that, that you yes. could create it yourself. He was also an artist and a painter and so he would teach me the... Um, you know, the colour wheel and teach me oil painting and all of this sort of stuff. So I would, you know, I would I had a great grounding in the arts right. and in music. He used to play the piano all the time. And did he, um, I guess, know that he could tell that you were a kindred spirit in terms of creativity, do you think? Or? Uh, yeah, I, when, I, when I was always making something I was forever making something or writing or you know painting or you know I was forever creating I also had horses you know and I loved horses so it's quite grounded Mm -hmm. but um when we moved to Christchurch um I think that was when I you know developed a love of horses I didn't have that prior Mm -hmm. but yes definitely the the film thing was interesting I think that was that as you're talking about seeds, you know, that was the seed that planted in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, this notion of telling stories and the fantasy of film. And I've always loved film and I have always been particularly mesmerised by images um, and also gravitated towards art history. And I guess uh, that too is attributable to my grandfather who was stationed in Trieste during the war. Hmm. And so he would, you know have these fantastic stories of going to galleries in Europe that I was just transfixed by mm-hmm. and would talk about the masters and he would talk about, you know, Caravaggio and, you know, chiaroscuro lighting. And, you know, so these things mm. were very much in my mind when I was little mm. and I would, he would always talk about the study of light. So when I would look at something to draw it, for example, I would be look, taking every tiny detail in and I think that attention to detail I brought with me into film as mm. well and storytelling and observing mm. and trying to work out what the essence of a story was. You know, mm. now that I'm talking about it to you, know, mm. it's quite obvious where these, mm. well, I say, the seeds come from. Mm. I find it fascinating that that a grandfather could have that influence on their grandchild as well because sometimes um, people think they haven't got anything left to give sort of towards the end of their life but actually it sounds like he had a huge influence on you and what you've ended up doing. Oh enormous and in actual fact there was a it's quite a a circle I suppose to the story in that um, I came over recently well a year and a bit ago because my mother was terminally ill so I came to look after her and be here with her. Um, and she passed uh, about a month or so ago. And she didn't want to have a funeral. She wanted to have a memorial. And, um, you know, I, was, I wanted it to be beautiful. She was very um, particular, my mother, <laughs> very particular about things looking the right way and, you know, that, that sort of detail again right. yeah. inherited from her. Uh, she was a great cook and a fabulous hostess, so everything had to be just so. So I created this, you know, my stepfather and I created this memorial for her 
And I didn't want it to be like people standing up and just giving a speech. I wanted people to know who she was. And many of her later friends obviously knew her from, say, when she may have been 40 onwards, but didn't know a lot of her mm-hmm. early life and where she'd come from. And very luckily, I had access to the films that my grandfather had shot, for mm. example, of Mum as a debutante and when she was little. And, um, you know, much later on in her first wedding. So I made a film for the memorial Mm. that traced her life. And it was really, it was gut-wrenching doing it, I've got to say, I don't think I've ever been, was the week she died and I was having to get this all ready to screen. Yeah. And, you know, taking taking stills of the photographs. Anyway, we put it all together. And everyone that came to the memorial basically said it was extraordinary. It was so great to have something that was celebratory, mm-hmm. you know, of her life. Because I set, you know, to music and had like 60s music during the 60s era, era stuff. And right. you know, it kind of traced her journey through Europe and blah, blah. But um, mm. what was interesting is that they got to see her, a side of her, that they hadn't known before. Mm. And they said that's what they really loved. Yeah. So actually it became a celebration rather than, you yeah. know, this dour event and, yeah. sad, and sad. Yeah. And as I say, that's kind of the full circle of my grandfather's influence because yeah. of, with looking at all of his filming. That's so special. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting tears in my eyes now oh. <laughs> just thinking yeah. about no, it. No, it was you know, that, that he took That he took these films and recorded her life at such a young age and then that you as the you know the granddaughter were able to complete that to to share with her friends and to those who remembered her oh yeah it was was absolutely gorgeous and you know she she looked like a movie star Mm. you know she really was incredibly beautiful Mm. and when she passed she'd passed from myeloma multiple myeloma and it's a devastating brutal Mm. illness and it completely destroyed how Mm. she looked Mm. So it was nice for them to remember that she was this really beautiful, mm. fabulous, you know, warm woman. And it was all of this stuff about, you know, her with her first her babies and mm-hmm. her first boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, running through. It was just, it was gorgeous, actually. Wow. So you were reminded recently of the power of your grandfather and, and what he had done. Yeah, and also, to be honest, the power of stories and that our lives are stories. Our mm. lives are our stories, mm. you know. Mm. So um, your interest in film and, um, I guess, painting and that type of thing, how did it outwork and did you study that, you know, into teenage years? And uh, Yeah, I, I went to Polytech here and I did graphic design. And that, I kind of liked that, but it didn't really rock my world. And I moved to Sydney, as I said, when I was 19. And I was uh, sort of involved with a, you know, the jazz musician, jazz music scene over there. And I met this guy who was um, an audiophile. And he was pretty fascinating. He's a really cool cat. <laughs> he used to, we used to talk about um, Eric Satie's circular notation and Schrodinger's cat and you know, quantum mechanics and all sort of stuff. He was like my entree into that sort of whole world of, you know, mm. transducer microphones and <laughs> sublistatic speakers and, you know, he was a purist. Right. And we were recording um, 
a piece by Bella Bartok at the Cellblock Theatre in Sydney and the musicians were quite incredible and they broke their strings and you know it was a quite intense event and I was taking photographs of it and anyway the conversation came up and he said you know you should do film and I had never thought about it before not that I should do it personally you know I'd always been involved mm. interested in imaging but hadn't really thought about it and I went yeah mm. I think I'd really like to do that so um Anyway, so was I, that suggestion by that person who caused it to open up as an opportunity? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I applied to film school and I went down. To, I went to film school in Melbourne and did my BA in film and television down there. Hmm. And from there, I've sort of done both. Really, I've done worked in film and design across all sorts of different areas. You know, I was the creative director of uh, Mambo for a couple of years. They're mm-hmm. like a surf label, and a surf art label in mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. So I used to buzz around the globe doing stuff for them. I was the creative director for um, Festival Mushroom Music. Mm-hmm. And they were, well, because I'd been doing lots and lots of music videos and I was sort of the only female director doing music videos back in the day. So I had a bit of a name for myself as the indie queen, you know. Right. In what era are we talking about? Oh, that would be the 90s, 90s, late 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then from there, you know, it's just kind of spread out across design and uh, film in terms of um, broadcast, stuff for TV. Mm -hmm. And to most recently, uh, I've just shot a feature documentary in Havana, Cuba. We... um, and we're just doing the post on that currently. Mm-hmm. And it's about youth culture in Cuba, mm-hmm. which is extraordinary. It's fantastic. It follows the lives of five young people in Cuba, a prima ballerina, a surf, um, surfer skater, a tattoo artist who's his wife, a young actress who's sort of into boys and girls. She's very gender fluid and um, an electronica DJ. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, Havana like you. Heavens, it's not one of yeah, the social clubs. Yeah, it's not in my... It, yeah, it's <laughs> none not, of those descriptions are what I think of. <laughs> no, it's not Buena Vista Social Club. Yeah. So we're currently finishing that shot there with a fantastic yeah. young Mexican DP, so that was really fun. Cool. So how, would you, how do you describe yourself then? It sounds like there's many, many hats that you wear. Um, do you say that you're a film director? Is that one of them? S- or is uh, it, normally uh, I say I'm a, a director. It mm-hmm. sort of depends who I'm talking to right. it depends who I'm working for because sometimes people don't like you to do too many things right but um, generally speaking I'm a director designer mm-hmm. and when you first got you know let's you're in Melbourne and yeah. you're studying it what was there a point that you thought yes this is definitely what I want to do with my life in terms of telling stories with film um, yes well because we would get up <laughs> The very first thing we'd be doing in the morning would be going and watching, you know, uh, an Antonioni film or, you know, Terence Malick's Badlands or something mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock in the morning and then having a discussion about the meaning of the film after and the significance of it. Or, um, and I was just absorbed and, com- and completely loved the idea of being in this, I don't know, I guess it was like another world, you know. Mm-hmm. It was much more fascinating for me than the real world, 
which is interesting, you know, now because I quite like doing documentary stuff. So, right. <laughs> which is much more the real world. But then, you know, I suppose it just appealed to my... Um, it was exciting. Mm. And it was... A, I Actually, now that I'm talking about it, I think, to be honest, it's like a... It's a culmination of everything that I love. You know, the best literature, great music, fabulous photography, great art fantastic ideas you know rigorous thought all of those sorts of things that I really admire and that inspire me are encapsulated in the art form of great cinema Mm -hmm. and I think that's what just you know really spun my wheels about it all Mm. so if you could name you know influences on you like you mentioned Terence Malick for example were there some people that you look to that you go wow those are really influential um, well, Terence Malick, absolutely. Mm. I mean, Badlands and Days of Heaven. and I mean, I love his... He's a philosopher, and I just absolutely love him. Antonioni, mm. who I just absolutely adore. Because um, Terence Malick, he, for a long time, he just released movies every decade or so, didn't he? Yeah. It's pretty amazing, because he did Thin Red Line, I think. Yeah. And... Um, but more recently, he's done them he's doing, every couple of years, it feels yeah, like. But yes. is he in his 80s or he's, he's, he's uh, not young? <laughs> no, no, no he's, not, mean, no, he's not young. He, he's not young at all. But he's, um, he, he, he wasn't, prol- I wouldn't have said he was prolific mm. prior, no. But he was, it took him a long time to get each film up. Yeah. Um, but they're just such, they're poems, really. Mm. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a war film that is better than Thin Red Line. Mm. I mean, it's just an extraordinary film mm. about the trauma of war. Mm. Very individual, you know, mm. and heartfelt, I think. Mm. So you, as having been involved in it for a long time as a director and, you know, in the industry, um, I guess... What's your take on the current state of film? <laughs> like when you look and see the latest Marvel blockbuster or um, uh, I'm not, some of the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, they're, they're, they're not films that really appeal to me, to mm-hmm. my sensibility, I must say. Although I think a lot of what's happening that's really good actually is happening in TV currently. There's some great stuff happening like in what, television. Like what, um, well, I loved Transparent. I mean, I love Jill. Solo- I love Jill Soloway, and she works with this fantastic script editor, Joan Sheckel, who's really all about sort of driving authenticity in a story. And I think that's right. why Transparent is so clever. It's such a great script. Um, I thought Breaking Bad was a brilliant premise and a great script about somebody's. You know, what better premise could there mm. have been when you have? Someone who's got nothing yeah, left to lose, to the and, and yeah. they and their descent. I mean, it's like a Jacobean tragedy or something. It was an extraordinary piece of television writing, I thought. Mm. Um, and I, that probably harks back to my love of Badlands and Malick's use of the fairy tale and Gothic mm-hmm. metaphors and things in the film. Mm-hmm. But. In terms of contemporary filmmakers, I mean, that's coming out in, you know, in cinema, actually in cinema. I like, I really like Lady Bird. That was out. Um, I mean, the Marvel stuff, I'm not, 
I'm not big on at all. I'm, I'm kind of more into your indie thing. I mean, I really loved actually A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was cool. That mm. Iranian vampire film, okay. which had sort of harks back to the Nouvelle Vague, has that kind of sensibility to it, you know. Right. And I love Jim Jarmusch and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. I like the kind of cool indie vibe thing. And Tangerine, which I thought was fantastic. Mm. That was cool. They shot it on um, an iPhone. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly there's many movies I need to see because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen all of those. Um, I've got young children. That's my excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a, what that's like. A, yeah. There's um, not that much time to go out to see indie movies. But, mm. um, so um, just talk us through a little bit more about the things that you're involved in. You mentioned creative director was your title at some of these places. What is a creative director? Oh, creative director basically means that you, are, you sort of head up um, s- strategy and the creative are in, in advertising around, um, you know, storytelling and campaigns. Mm. So, for example, I did a lot of uh, work with the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse in Sydney at a later point. So about five years or so I worked with them and they were building right. this new um, innovative, holistic, patient-centred cancer hospital quite extraordinary very groundbreaking and I suppose the creative direction there was you know around framing the storytelling and creating the assets that they needed to to do two things one to get the story out about the center itself but also to educate or re-educate some of the um, people that were in the medical fraternity that were coming over into this sort of this new hospital and they wanted to change the method of approach that some of the older school um, clinicians had you know they wanted them to be more transparent and accountable they wanted them to do be more um, active active what's called active listening they wanted them to actively listen to the patients and engage with the Mm -hmm. patients and the patient's family and the carers which you know there's been a culture I guess of you know, a fairly arrogant culture where they sort of stand back and mm. they're the authoritative voice and they just sort of say what will happen but there's no mm. correspondence or, you know, dialogue that's entered into. So we had to do create quite a few films and infographics and various things around that space to try to educate people into this new way of thinking because the it was based, the hospital was based on you know, was going to be based on this new way of thinking I and see. new way of behaving. Mm. So I suppose some of that was educational, you know, and the rest of it was uh, the storytelling from a um, a cancer, well, you don't to call them cancer survivors. It was, you know, we we called them people living with cancer, mm. that we were t- telling their stories and how they had gone through, you know, the trials they'd gone through, I mean, actual scientific yeah, trials yeah, yeah. Um, as well as the real life yeah. trials and so forth that then gone through so that in the sharing of the stories other mm. people could um you know learn from that mm. so that they become sort of mini documentary type in a, or in a, interviews or yeah yeah in a way both. yeah some of them yeah. are a little bit of both mixture yeah mm. and um is there a typical type of story you like to tell you know like you mentioned havana for example how did you get involved in havana uh Havana I w- was interested in because 
it's a completely different it's just a completely different setup to here you know when I was looking at how we are in the west and you know we're pretty narcissistic and this whole obsession with social media and mm. um you know the haves and the have nots and out you know the the things that drive us the sort of markers that we consider to be successful and the status that drives us mm-hmm. to me is pretty shallow you know and I was always interested in what it would be like in a country that didn't have that so that was one of my re- main reasons for going and interestingly I found out you know because internet access is really difficult to come by in Havana mm. you know um that's not so much an, an issue and also what I found out in filming these five young people was that they are incredibly focused on family values and family and community mm-hmm. have a great sense of community because they have uh, now they don't have a lot of money they earn $30 a month you know and that their house is provided for them and that you know okay we might and from a Western prism go, yeah, that's, you know, no money and they're living in poverty, but they still have a roof over their head, okay? So that takes away the desperation to have to go and do something where they really dislike to cre- get, create the income to pay for the roof, okay? So that's mm-hmm. taken away. Mm-hmm. The other thing is there is no advertising anywhere mm-hmm. in Havana, nowhere. No big shops with special things that, uh, you know, little trinkets to buy, no special clothes, none of that. None of that's there. And so what we find out happening is all of these kids that we were shooting, you know, they, they choose to do one thing and they absolutely excel at it. They're really great at it because they utilise all their time in being really good at this one thing they really like. And so what's important is arts and creativity. And it's really held up. It's really valued in their society. Mm. So the prima ballerina that we we were filming was just unbelievable at dancing. She, and it was everything to her. And that was her entire focus. And she was wonderful at it. Mm. The, the skater was just an incredible athlete. Mm. And his partner, who is a tattoo artist, and tattooing is, a, is illegal in Cuba, or to have a business, a quantopista, mm. is illegal for them to do it. Um, she was excellent at that, you know. Mm. So and that create so the 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 framework was available for the creativity to flourish. It sounds like so that's that people right. could actually become excellent at whatever it was that they wanted to do. That's right, hmm. exactly. That's and I found that really fascinating. Yeah. And also that um, there was a support with them in that. This not just familial but community support around them, so they never felt isolated or alone, mm. you know. And I thought that was something that I thought we should actually aspire mm. to. I mean, you know, you do have things where you go past a sign that goes socialismo y muerte, which is you know, socialism or death, and you go, yeah, mm. and that's clearly not so great, but you know, obviously, there are pros and cons to it, but that facet of it Mm. i found to be honest really refreshing Mm. it's like anything in life isn't it there's always aspects that you can learn from and and draw from i think what appealed to me in making this documentary and i'm still we're still editing it at the moment Mm -hmm. actually um 
was that it was also all about community. You know, like Yohani, who's the skater, you know, they don't, they have no money for skateboards. There's no skateboard shop there. Mm. They have to upcycle everything. They mm. rely on things that are given to them. And the skate park itself is, you know, really run down. Yeah. So they've got all of these kids, you know, that want to learn. And he's like the elder statesman, if you will, of mm. skating. Mm -hmm. And so he takes them all, you know, teaches them. He's the kind of their best buddy, you know, looks after them. And they really revere him, you know, and look up to him because mm. he's great at what he does. And so he passes that on mm. and he's very kind. Mm. And in fact, if you're not kind, if you seem to be unkind in Cuba, they just simply won't, mm. have, you know, talk to you. Mm. They don't want to know about that. And I thought, you know, that's actually quite beautiful. It is. They give back to the community, you yeah. know. It's very important. It's an attribute we could do with more of kindness. <laughs> be, yeah, well, kindness kind. and a sense of community. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think some of these things definitely have come with me. Mm. In coming back to Christchurch, yeah. you know, that was the most recent experience I had. And as I mm. said, then I had the uh, the, the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse thing. I think mm. these... You've, it sounds like you've kind of drawn from your past to do what you're doing now. And I'd love yeah. to turn to that now because we've yeah. kind of laid the foundation looking at your, your life and, and what's led to you to where you are now. But mm. I'd love to learn more about the Tumanaco uh, Wellness Centre and what it is and what you're aiming for with it. Yeah. So do you mind just telling us a bit about it and sort of what were the circumstances around the idea and what does it stand for? Okay, well, um, I came back uh, to Christchurch about a year and a half ago because my mother was terminally ill with multiple myeloma, so I came back to look after her from Sydney. Mm -hmm. um, and my brother's paranoid schizophrenic. So... In advocating for my brother, because my mother was unable to, I was uh, introduced, I guess, to the current state of play in mental health care and also to, uh, you know, the facilities. And it was really shocking. I was just shocked at how they were. I mean, he was falling through a lot. The system basically failed him. He was falling through a lot of holes. So was, I noticed... You know, it was it's a pretty siloed approach. Um, for example, Seeker Clinic was a building that was supposed to be decommissioned two years prior to the quakes and is mm. still being used and is very run down. And, you know, if you've got someone who's in a, an acute state of psychosis who's been put into, mm. a, you know, a building that is dark and dingy, filthy, completely run down, cracks in the walls with the you know ceilings crumbling i mean that would make me depressed mm. and i was nothing mentally wrong with me you know mm. I mean, my brother was in a state of extreme psychosis mm. it's been put somewhere like you're in you know out of i don't know american horror story or something it was just shocking mm. i said how can we do this to people mm. so i elected to do something about it you know i thought this is not good enough we should not this should not be happening and as I, so anyway, I sat in my parents' granny flat in Hallsville and <laughs> did a whole bunch of research and started right. started design what I thought would, would what work the and what the alternative might be. Might be. Mm. That's right, yeah, sort of coming up with a, I mean, I'd also be, 
because being the creative director of Mamba, I'd spent a lot of time in Bali. And being in Bali, I'd been in a lot of spa resorts, you know, incredibly okay. beautiful gardens and fabulous pavilion-style mm-hmm. buildings. And I've had a lot to do with architecture. Mm-hmm. So I sort of coupled that. So the physical place that the person is the physical will affect place. The, the, the mental space for the person as well, right? Like well, that's the, right. And yeah. again, this comes back, I guess, to my grandfather and what we were talking about very early on is all this detail. Yeah. We're very detail-driven. So I thought, okay, we need to have care should be completely holistic and it isn't just about putting medication into our bodies it's about where we are it's about what our environment looks and feels like Mm -hmm. it's about what we put into our bodies in terms of you know nutrition for like good gut health good overall health it's about exercise it's about the sorts of things we feed our minds, so whether that's, you know, soothing music or a beautiful calming effect of a fabulous garden, whether we're earthed in nature, all of these things have an incredibly important effect on us, you know, mm. physiologically and mm. mentally. Mm. It's uh, it's seeing a person more holistically than just a name on a on a piece of paper, isn't it? Yeah. That there's other that, dimensions there. Well that's including right. like a spiritual dimension or other aspects to life right exactly yeah and so i thought all of these things mm. need to be taken into consideration in, in a piece of the you know every piece of that puzzle needs to be worked out so right. that we can give these people who are so vulnerable and have so much in need mm. the best possible care for the best possible outcome and we should be pulling from every resource we can mm. to make that a reality and currently we don't, you know, we should be open and having a dialogue with everybody, you know, not just, you know, the families and the carers and the great researchers that are happening, you know, over in Denmark and, you know, it's basically, it's like we live in a world where at our fingertips at any given moment, we have so much information. Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is about, okay, let's get all of that information all together and compile it and sort it and come up with the best possible innovative alternative mental right. health care we can. And this includes the facility. Because, you know, things like having a great facility and a beautiful place to be that is actually physically beautiful mm-hmm. is going to affect the staff. And they're going to feel great and in turn give better care. Right. You know, that's just one aspect. That's a tiny aspect. Mm. If, you've, if we've got beautiful, you know, on-site organic gardens that we grow our food and it's nourishing and that you know the patients who we want to call guests by the way can elect to you know Mm. learn to harvest in the garden or not you know up to them but if they do then that's also a great mindfulness exercise and it's a good thing to do Mm. then that in turn will promote a better understanding of what a healthy choice is and maybe promote better gut health and it's been absolutely evidence-based scientifically proven that gut health and you know inflammation can affect our brains Mm. so you know all of this stuff is out there well it makes sense and and i love the idea that you learn from what's been done in other parts of the world Mm. and take the best bits leave aside the worst bits and then make something that's really groundbreaking and you know actually the best it can be right that's exactly right i mean i sort of liken it to um it's 
It's like, you know, bringing Elon Musk to Christchurch or something. It's like the whole, sure. every single element of it, like the building needs to be completely carbon neutral mm-hmm. and biophilic design, which means that it's all, you know, made from natural materials. It's mm-hmm. not made from plastic and stuff. It's wood and mm. stone and beautiful, yeah. relaxing services. <laughs> and a fabulous atrium with a gorgeous garden, you know, and, pod structures no long corridors because you know corridors for someone that for example may have extreme anxiety or they're claustrophobic and they're going in a long corridor it's going to make mm, them feel bad make it so worse, why yeah. would you do that yeah so go with organic shapes Small and, organic and make shapes. it make it more real that's yeah. right so this all of these things i want i wanted to bring in yep. and create a different space and it wasn't just because you know i'd experienced these horrifying things with my brother and I right. won't go into all of those but they were yeah. truly horrifying yeah um it's also because you know we are in the middle of a mental health epidemic mm. it's really shocking mm. and Julia Rutledge who's one of our mm. advisors uh, professor Julia Rutledge who yeah. does a lot of work and with very robust yeah, she's on my list to interview i've spoken to her and she's willing to be on the podcast so oh, at some point <laughs> yeah well I'll she is fantastic she's yeah. doing a lot of um research around the mm-hmm. efficacy of micronutrients and mental health and she really is extraordinary yeah um anyway you know she will talk to you about what's called the treatment gap mm-hmm. where you know one in five people have got will in any given year present with a mental health disorder mm. but that's only the ones that we know about right so it could be higher mm. so in new zealand that's one million people mm. and we have five to six thousand trained clinicians and professional people mm. to deal with that so you're looking at a treatment gap of about 350,000 people or so is about the size of Christchurch. Mm. They're people that won't be treated. Mm. So we need to come up with innovative new ways to deal with this issue. Yeah, that's great. So tell me more about the... the, Because I know at the time this airs, hopefully it will be during your Pudge Me campaign. We're recording this just before that time. Um, But I'd love to know a little bit more about what you're seeking from people, how they can get involved, and what is the plans in terms of the short term and then the long term as well. Um, but just before we get to that, if it's okay, yeah. there's three people that I've interviewed on the podcast that I think it would resonate with the things that you've said, and I think you probably know some of them. So the first one is Peter Wells, and we sp- I spoke to him about edible food for us and the idea of going and collecting food yourself, you know, yeah. that it's fresh and natural, and mm. again, that gut health. And the second one is actually Michael Mayle, who founded Cookie Time and is now doing Nutrient Rescue. Yes, and it's, I've heard it, them. Yeah. yeah. They're and, fantastic. And, and it's kind of a shift for him, I think, you know, in a way that he's really um, focusing on um, getting good things into our body. You know, the idea you are what you eat, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's and very then the, true. And the third one, the third person I interviewed was Kamiya Young from Ahu. Um, and I think they're partnering with you on yes. what you're doing. Yeah. And I talked with her about architecture and the physical places and how that, um, as an architect, you know, designing spaces that are natural for people. Um, so I'm just thinking, because what you've said really resonated with me and it actually resonates with many of the previous interviews. So it's, yeah, it's right. really well, helpful. It's, well, it's very true, actually, that um, Kamiya mm-hmm. or, or who and I are partnering 
yeah. to deliver to Monaco. Mm-hmm. And they have been really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we're all working very hard, you know, to drive this. I mean, one thing I will mention that I didn't mention before, actually, just before I get into that, is that we're also wanting to be very tech savvy because part of being able to reach this vast amount of people that need treatment and mm-hmm. doing things differently is with technology and mm-hmm. also um, being able to connect up and keep people in the loop you know so families carers clinicians right. you know the whole care pathway mm-hmm. because currently that's you know sort of falls away yeah and it's a bit difficult so uh, tech is something that we really want to be all look over yeah and it's a big part of what we're doing yeah that's um, great yeah so in terms of what people can get involved in and what it is that you're hoping to get from them um, yeah, but or what is it that's yeah, what's the plan? Okay, the plan. <laughs> Just a basic question. Okay, so the plan is, yes, yeah, basic, basic, I can, I'll try. <laughs> well, we're about to launch our Pledge Me campaign, and we're going for, our goal is 200,000. And the reason that we need uh, the money is, one, so that we can continue our work. Uh, we want to get a feasibility done, because we need that rock solid feasibility so that we can then go out and seek capital investment Mm -hmm. and we know you know it's a good viable robust business model that we have PricewaterhouseCoopers are on board as a partner great Um, so as Lane Neve as our corporate lawyer we've got Mm. lots of you know heavy hitters involved which is very good it's what we need Mm. to make it happen and it's going to be a predominantly private slash public model. So we're a not-for-profit charitable trust. Right. That doesn't mean that we are for a loss. We're also not for loss. Mm. And we can do that. That We're basing a lot of this around the model that the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse um, was created under. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, the C- former CEO is an advisor of ours. Um, so... Yeah, again, going back to the $200,000 goal that we have, it's for securing land, it's for continuing work, it's for for furthering, advancing the design, both in the building and the operational design, uh, appointing a CEO, which we want to do, and... Uh, did mm. I say securing land? I think mm, I did. You say did, sec- yeah. yeah. I did say yeah. securing the land. Do you have a <laughs> place in mind, or like what type of a place are oh, you hoping this- for? At this point, we're um, talking to regenerate Christchurch and we're looking at um, the residential red zone, Mm -hmm. an an area in there that's our preferred currently. Mm. Uh, Yeah, we haven't kind of worked out exactly where yet, but we are, that's where we're thinking. Yeah. And what are the sort of the pillars that will make it different? We kind of touched on this before. But are there some, you know, yeah, yeah, bullet, we have, what's the bullet point well, we have, list of... <laughs> we, have, we have five pillars. I probably won't remember all of them while I'm sitting here. But That's okay. <laughs> they will be on our website and they're, you know, on, also on our Facebook page. But basically that we are holistic and sustainable. Yeah. Um, that we are... Oh, good, can I just grab my bag? Yeah, I that's fine. Got, I think I've got them written down. Did I write them down? Maybe I didn't bring them. That's all right. Oh, so you put well, me on this. Well, put me no, on the spot it's fine. Now. We can just um, we'll put a link in the um, the show notes, and then people can click and 
easily find them. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. I just, my brain's <laughs> gone. I didn't finish. No, we're recording this on a Friday evening. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a long week for yeah. everybody. I yet, should have bought all my pillars. I didn't think about <laughs> that. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. No, it's okay. all good. Yeah. But the point is, the thing I want to draw out of this is that you're, you're planning to approach um, mental health in a different way, it, or it, at least, um, you know, the, the space is different and that the approach of the people is a bit different. Is that the point? Oh, everything, or? yeah. It's a complete alternative. We want to be, I mean, there's absolutely a huge need for it and we want to be that alternative. You know, we want to create an alternative in mental health care that has taken, you know, or has learnt from what mm. we believe isn't really working currently mm. or isn't getting to enough people, isn't reaching enough people, isn't making enough people well. Yeah. And learning from that and applying that mm. across a completely new way to do it. I mean, it's not all completely new because we will also have, you know, clinical psychologists, clinical psychiatrists, Mm-hmm. with a full swathe of uh, complementary therapies alongside that mm. and add to that, you know, innovative new digital and e-therapies and mm-hmm. treatments. And, you know, we also want to be in- incorporating community outreach and community education because that's very important, you know. Mm. We want the community to be involved. There's a lot of areas that we want to touch on. Our website will go live um, pretty soon and it'll have a lot of that stuff in detail on it that mm. you can, you know, people will be able to look at. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Does that and make sense? Yeah. No, it does for sure. And like I say, what we'll do is we'll put some links to things and then um, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but in the podcast app that they're using, there's a little description about this episode. Right. And if they just scroll down, there will be links and then they can click and go to the Facebook page or go yeah. to the website or go to the whatever links that we put up so i mean one thing i will say is it's very important for the community to get behind this because without community support it's not going to happen and it is something that's needed and we're very keen and driven to make it happen and we've got a fabulous team but we do need community support and we do really need to get this two hundred thousand so that we can we can keep pushing and make it happen, mm-hmm. you know, because these people have been working for, you know, a year mm-hmm. for nothing, for pro bono, yeah. which is terrific. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. But, you know, that just can't go on and on forever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one, and as I said, once we have that feasibility locked in and we can, you know, progress the design and so forth, then we can get it in front of, you know, we can get capital investment. Yeah. And that's not so hard because we've got, you know, we'll have the numbers and stuff. We're going to be robust, mm-hmm. which is why we have people like PwC in, involved. Yeah. No, that's excellent. Yeah, I mean, the what you're talking about really is the seed funding to get it off the ground, isn't it? Like that's get, right. Get the idea up there. That's right. And yeah, yeah. so if people do, um, you know, if they go to the Pledge Me website and find it, um, what format will that take, the 200000 Is this something, you know, how will it work? Uh, how, how do you mean? Is it a loan that is being given to to this or is it a donation? It's a ple- uh, pledge, I'd say donation. A yeah, donation. It's a donation. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. becomes a pledge and a donation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eventually what we will be doing is charitable bonds mm-hmm. um, as well. You mm-hmm. know, there's a number of revenue streams that yeah. we'll be working on to 
and charitable bonds was one of the um, ways that the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse um, right was able to do it was able to you know get their thing happening they yeah. also got a lot of investment um, but yeah that's just one aspect of it as mm. I said there's lots of other revenue streams yeah and the reason that it's being done here in Christchurch is because the people who are passionate about it are here is that right well I th- it's that I came to Christchurch. I saw the need in Christchurch mm-hmm. and then or who was in Christchurch and we partnered up mm-hmm. and so we were all in Christchurch and we know there's a big need mm-hmm. right here. I mean, if, you know, just the, was it this morning in the paper, there was in fact an article, as there is, you know, most days in the press mm-hmm. about Hill Morton saying that they desperately need an alternative that they, for overflow, mm-hmm. like that for patients' beds, you know, mm. they need something else. Mm. So that's what we want to provide. Right. Yeah. We want to be, you know, that and we're not just the overflow, but we do want to be a service provider for mental health in mm. Canterbury. Mm. And having obviously thought about this a lot in terms of mental health, you mentioned sort of nutrients and food being mm. part of it. Um, what are some of the other factors that are leading to this increase of need? Um, obviously, Christchurch had some earthquakes. <laughs> is well, it is it partly you know thinking about those sorts of factors as I, well? Or? Well, you know, there's just lots of really scary stats here. I mean, you know, New Zealand has the highest youth suicide rate in the world. Mm. Now, that's not just because of the earthquakes in Canterbury. Mm. You know, that's shocking. Mm. It's really shocking. I mean, I mean, and this is yet another reason that spurred me to, in, in the first instance, to try to do something was when my daughter and I came over here and, you know, the first school that she was at that I moved her from subsequently, mm. you know, a friend or in a recent acquaintance had tried to self-harm on Snapchat with mm. her. So I had to get her into a counsellor over that. I moved her from that school. And when I say self-harm, mm. that's a euphemism. Mm. So I moved her to another school, and to Villa Maria actually, and... Within a month, we were at a funeral from a girl that she had just met, 13 Mm. years old, who'd killed herself. Mm. I just couldn't believe it. Mm. And this is something that's not uncommon. Mm. So it's not just, I don't think it's just the earthquakes. I think Christchurch Mm. has a, a, you know, yes, there's possibly a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder, I'd imagine. Mm. but there's also it's a, a big problem, health. though, isn't it? I mean, you know, and if something like what you're proposing could help to alleviate, you know, and, and have an alternative way. The thing that I love is that you're talking about doing something that's taking the best from other places and actually do it really well. And then it could be a template that you could take and use here and here and here, right? Like that would be your dream, I imagine. Well, that's the the dream is, yes. I mean, that is the dream. I mean, the big thing about Tumanako is that it is... It's not just pie in the sky. It's evidence-based yeah. in science that we're applying mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's rigorous thinking behind it. Um, and as you say, taking the best from all over the world. And we want to be a centre of research mm. and a centre of knowledge production. So that isn't just about, you know, put, you know, putting four walls down somewhere in a bed and someone can stay there and we've got a yeah. you know clinical psychologist there and that's it and they can take their medication and that's the end of it. Mm. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fully sustainable long-term plan that has, you know, 
care that's tenable, that's working, and that creates better outcomes. Mm. And yes, as you say, you know, then we have this whole other idea, which is to roll this out, not just nationally, but potentially globally. Mm. And then if you take that same idea of what we're doing with the mental health facility, you could actually white label that and that could become, you know, an aged care facility or it could become a youth centre. Mm. Because there's lots of other things that we want to do with the centre as well, you know, apart from just being, you know, treatment and gardens. Mm. We want to have a place that's called a hub in it, which is a place where if you feel, you know, triggered or isolated or alone, you have some kind of difficulty, you know, that you can come into this great, you know, space or room. There's a barista there, you can grab a coffee, you can bring your laptop and sit down and do some work or not or sit there and hang out with other people, or sit in a small space by yourself. But you don't have to be at home, isolated, right. feeling bad. Now, if you have a tendency towards you know, some sort of suicidal ideation, mm. and you're by yourself, that's really bad, and you have nowhere to go. Mm. So that's what we want to do. We want to create this really beautiful space that's welcoming, mm-hmm. that people can come to and mm. feel safe. We also want a safe withdrawal spaces, so that if people want to get off their medication, then they, we have the facility and the wherewithal to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the research that's coming out from places like the Cochrane Centre, mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying that these medications aren't necessarily working. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they don't ever and they, that there's not a place for them, but we yeah. should just not only be drugs first all the time mm-hmm. or that's the only way to look at it. It's not necessarily. Yeah. We also want a safe place for women, mm-hmm. a women-only area, you know, and that's really important because if someone's had some sort of DV mm-hmm. issue that's gone on or, I mean, you know, yeah. for lots of obvious reasons, yeah. there, there needs to be these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And kind of underlying everything you're saying, in my mind anyway, is the word community, you know, that you're actually encouraging people to engage with other people and providing a safe place for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And because community is very, very important. And another thing we want to do is even have, you know, nights where we open up the gardens right. that we create and have, you know, like group dinners. Mm-hmm. And we have group events and we have community education nights and we have an event space where we can host, mm. uh, obviously, things like, you know, seminars for the latest thinking mm-hmm. but also community education and we would also like to ha- expand that into schools mm-hmm. particularly with reference to what I was talking about before you right. know these young kids as teenagers you know their yeah. their brains developing and a yeah. lot of their reasoning and you know the the whole idea of sort of empathy and compassion and everything kind of closes down when they're a teenager so that the rest of their brain can grow. And often what's happening is they're making these really dramatic decisions apropos of, you know, not much at all (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, or maybe not depending on the particular person, I guess. But, you know, that, they're often reaching for the most dramatic result that they can because the, the nature of their brain at that point in time was you think, okay, if you just got them at this point in time and tried to take some of the drama away from you know them and their, mentally, internally, mm. then maybe their first option wouldn't be to mm. end their life. Mm. I mean, that's just a very, you know, yeah. generalised appraisal of it and I'm not meaning that to be... Um, you know, that's possibly too general, but you know what I mean. The gist yeah. of it is, is that 
the more people that we can reach and the more people we can bring in, and I think this is all possible. It's just that we have to approach it a different way. Mm. Mm. You know? Yeah. And we have to tell the stories in a way that can be heard as well, right? Yeah. Like when we think back, you know, because just thinking about your childhood and what you learned from your grandfather, which is where we started this conversation, mm. which was really fascinating. You know, what is it that got you into film and telling stories, you know, that your grandfather was there helping you see the value of that. And then the fact that you could take your grandfather's films of your mother to tell her story, you know, it just shows the, the impact that that can yeah, have. It's, it's huge. I mean, I recently I filmed um, a couple of um, people f for our website who were recounting their experience that they've survived suicide attempts. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really important to tell these stories and to get these stories out there so that people don't feel alone if mm. they are having issues, mm. you know, so that if we can destigmatize mm. mental health, mm. every aspect of it, you know, so whether or not you have anxiety or depression or you just feel a bit blue one day yeah. or whatever it happens to be, you know, and actually get it out there that this is happening to 20 to 20 to 25 percent of the population yeah so it's pretty normal <laughs> yeah oh you know? exactly and that the stereotype you know just thinking about um you know the stereotypical strong man for example you know like all blacks and she'll be right everything's fine and how bad is that you know because well, that's, that's a, not true yeah exactly mm -hmm. and how do you how do you have it be okay to be vulnerable and to admit that everything isn't together you know like um unfortunately the movies and stereotypes is being an action hero and yeah nothing's ever wrong and you know but actually each one of us are individuals there's a lot of emotions there's lots of things going on and it's not always 100 percent okay no, whereas social media you know you want to portray the image that my life is perfect because I'm on a beach and cook like right now. So that yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, social media's got a lot to answer for in that regard. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's so. really not. It's really not great, and you know, we can't be comparing ourselves to each other We're on this ridiculous platform. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. all built on a fallacy. It's all just so smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've realized is that once you get to know anybody, they're going through something something at that moment mm. whoever it is there is something behind the scenes that you don't know and um and having the empathy and having the willingness to listen and talk is actually a huge part of the solution i think i think so too yeah. and i think it is too and i also think you know what i really like uh that's happening currently in the world i must say is um is this sense of community doing things you know it's not just one person doing something and coming up with an idea it's a group and and that's what i love about or who they're mm -hmm. very community development and that's what i love about this project is this is not happening without a huge team of people mm -hmm. you know i may have had the idea and sat there for two weeks doing a bunch of research but that's just the seed mm. of it yeah and it doesn't happen without this massive team. And that's it comes back to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know, a film is not something you make by yourself. Mm -hmm. You have a huge team of people. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, the, the actors and the 
you know, the DOP, and I mean, yeah. you know what it's like. It's yeah. just a massive mechanism. Yeah. Similarly, this project, you know, it doesn't happen without the team behind it, and similarly, won't happen without the community behind it. And mm-hmm. it is about everything is about community, mm-hmm. and I think thing, I think the world is moving that way mm-hmm. more and more, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) I think so too. Yeah, well, it's been a fascinating talk with you and just hearing about your childhood. You know, I really appreciated your mentioning your grandfather because we, at the beginning, we were almost going to head off into, I studied this and I studied that. And I actually think that he kind of stood behind everything that you said because, you know, his inspiration of Mm. being a filmmaker in his own way bringing stories about paintings back and teaching you about light as a young child like in a way that's laid a groundwork or foundation for your life and yeah, it's I just, very true actually it's really yeah, true it's yeah. fascinating and it was it's you sort of talking about it to me that's brought that out but i yeah, yeah it's amazing and again there, there you go you know how strong is family in your yeah, life i think so and the, the thing is that what i wonder is about for each one of us who is the equivalent of you as a young child that your grandfather took the time to teach you and and kind of mentor you in a way yeah, you know yeah. for each one of us it may not be our own children it may be nieces and nephews or it may be people you know in the community that actually you could feed into these young people and share with them and and you know that a 13 year old who doesn't feel like there's an alternative to life yeah that's right that's right it's about it's about sharing mm -hmm. and you share that and you plant the seed you Mm -hmm. know and boom you know but this doesn't happen without the sharing yeah yeah Yeah. and the caring you know care the sharing and the caring yeah (laughs) it's all all that stuff all warm and fuzzy but no no it's very it's true yeah yeah yeah, it is yeah yeah well that in a way that word seed that's that's why i called this podcast seeds because i love the idea that each conversation i'm having with people might be a seed that gets planted in somebody else and that they they probably won't go and do what you're doing but maybe listening to this story they'll think oh maybe i could help this other need in society or i could do this other thing you know and and actually there's a whole bunch of people who are on parallel tracks all doing different things and if we listen to enough of those stories you know that we can be encouraged to keep going because it is hard it's a marathon rather than a sprint you know oh yeah it's long um, it's a lot of work it is a lot of work to try and get this stuff happening it is it's a it's a mammoth effort it's you know i don't usually go to bed before two Right. Wow. So I do my yeah. own work and then I do this, you know. So and I'm sure you're the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I go to bed before too. <laughs> well, you've got young kids. So yeah, yeah. But Marcel, it's been great to speak with you and I really appreciate your time and all the best for the Pudge Me campaign. And, oh, thanks um, so much for having me. It was just fantastic to sit oh, down no and have problem. a chat. It was great. Yeah, Thank it you. was fun. Really inspiring, actually. Yeah. Oh, good. So what we'll do is put links where people can find out more. And um, yeah, in, uh, what I'm going to do is... Uh, I've taken a little video of us talking, yep. so I might post that so people can click and listen, and and then with the podcast as well, hopefully it gets the message out. And, yeah, um, great. Yeah, awesome. We'll see what happens. Well, so, thank you thank so you. much. No Thanks, problem. Stephen. Thank you. Cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marcel. I know I really appreciated understanding her perspective on the state of mental health in New Zealand, and I felt like we went pretty deep with our conversation. 
but I also really enjoyed her perspective about being a film director and the influence that her grandfather had had on her. I thought that story was really touching and special. If you want to find out more about how you can support what they're doing, then visit one of the links that will be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find by just scrolling down wherever you're getting this content. It'd be great to see this initiative get off the ground and actually be something that's really different and unique. And I certainly wish them all the best. Now, just a final reminder that this episode's really special because it's the 50th one. So if you enjoyed it, why not check out one of the earlier ones as well? Until next time. Music.